LA is vast, vibrant, simultaneously stunning, as well as challenging and confusing. At Together LA, this city is our passion. We know that loving LA well starts with listening, pounding the pavement in search of the individuals invested in the flourishing of Los Angeles. These are the inspiring stories and real life interviews with the men and women who work to bring the gospel to LA in their unique ways. Thanks for joining us as we bring you closer to the heart of LA, one story, one voice, one neighborhood at a time. We are Tommy and Jojo, and this is the Together LA Listening Tour. Welcome to this episode of Together LA's podcast, our listening tour. And I am here with Pastor Joseph Barkley, lead pastor of Radius Church in LA. So, Pastor, welcome. Oh, thanks. It's so good to be with you today, Tommy. How are you? I am doing well. I'm actually sitting here in Chicago, Illinois, looking at White Sox Field as I'm talking with you. Oh, I love your city so much. Hey, where is home for you? What neighborhood do you guys live in? So, well, Radius is in North Hollywood, uh, and that's where it's it's a central location for a lot of the community of what Los Angeles calls the Valley. And, uh, you know, that spans from, you know, we've reached people as far east as Azusa, Glendora, and then spanning all the way west to the coast, you know. Uh, in North Hollywood, in, in many ways, is sort of a cultural center within that. It's a really diverse community. Uh, ethnically and socioeconomically, but it until recently was also a place where a lot of people who lived in the Valley would go to the great restaurants and movie theaters and all that. And of course, then after lockdown, you know, all bets are off, but that's really where we're anchored is North Hollywood. Got it. For you, how long have you lived in North Hollywood? We've been in, well, I was born in Southern California, but it was way down in Long Beach and then I was raised in Riverside. And then my wife and I moved back up to LA Gosh, it would have been uh, 15 years ago. And yeah, we we love it here. Our community is here. I was professionally doing something else that yeah. made Los Angeles more of a fit. Got it. Has North Hollywood, for those who are listening who may not be familiar with the neighborhood North Hollywood, can mm-hmm. you talk a little bit about North Hollywood and what's it like? Has it changed in the last couple of years? It has changed. Yeah. So the population has grown uh, significantly over the last six years, really uh, six or seven years. It's grown 18% or more. And it's really brought in an influx of what was predominantly for a long time, a Latino community. Yeah. Uh, this there's been some gentrification. And so you'll see uh, you'll see much more Anglo moving in, but really we're seeing a huge increase in, Asian, Near Eastern, uh, and African American communities. So uh, it's it's become an incredibly diverse space, but it is also with the diversity ethnically and economically. You also have uh, challenge, systemic challenges uh, that are unjust to so many. Uh, you have a a gang culture that is still extremely pervasive, um, and and so there are some some challenges that we we think are um, it's it's part of our call to the city to to meet them to provide family for people who feel left out and kept out. Uh, but it's certainly not there's not one story. 
um, within North Hollywood. And, and frankly, that's why we're in love with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, now for you guys, how's your family? How's the church doing during this time COVID? Oh, thank you. Well, you know, we, I'm thankful that I like the people that I live with. My wife and my two daughters were getting along really yeah. well, actually remarkably well, better than I would have predicted. We're restless. You know, most of us are extroverts and we love adventure and we love travel. So since that's been put on hold, we've had to be more creative with what adventure looks like within the same walls for months on end. But we consider ourselves extremely fortunate because we're able to to ride this out for quite some time. On a ministry level, you know, we were in a unique position as a church to pivot quickly. We have a lot of people in video production and who have YouTube channels, for instance, and we were already beta testing uh, what it would look like to have an online campus in yeah. addition to our physical campus. We were gonna launch that in the fall anyway. So we were already somewhat down the road when almost overnight we had to pivot. And so the team was really in a, in a good position to do that. And now that it's clear, not only will we be in this space for a longer time than anybody really wants, uh, but also that there's a lot of people that we can serve and reach online. Uh, we've decided to, to move almost all of our energy and efforts to creating a great online ministry yeah. as we consider what it means to re-enter into physical gatherings at some point in the future. So, got it, got it. Yeah. Even as you're moving into online ministry, are there things that have worked out well that you just never even thought of? Or are there things that just didn't work out well? What has <laughs> your experience of doing a lot of these things? Yeah, I mean, there's some best practices online uh, that, are that seem to be working you know when we think about uh the difference between connecting with people in a large room you know like an auditorium space or a large church space uh there's something different that is possible when you're connecting with someone through a lens it actually in some ways can feel more intimate because now it feels more one-on-one -on -one than it would if you're just taking in a band or a, or a sermon or something from a stage but I'll tell you, one of the surprising things that God's using in this season is those moments we're creating off of the screen. Hmm. You know, we predicted a couple of months ago that people would very quickly develop screen fatigue. I have hmm. it, Tommy, you probably have it. Everything we're doing is on a screen and through a screen. So we decided almost right away to open up our database of lots of names and yeah. we split it up between the staff and volunteer leaders. And we said, we're just gonna call everybody. Just call everybody on this database, whether they've been a part of Radius recently or not, with no agenda other than to, to see how they're doing, how we can serve them, how we can pray for them. Those conversations have been so powerful and informative to me as a pastor. Yeah. Uh, you know, hearing how people are really doing. I think that's actually some of the greatest work that's going to come out of this season. Uh yeah. So yeah, it's yeah. an odd, it's an odd thing that comes out of an extremely online moment in our world that some of that in a phone call is, is obviously not a substitute for being in the same room with someone, but it is surprisingly intimate and um, human to do it. So I've loved it. Now I'm going to talk a little bit more about your life journey, but I did want to ask a follow-up question. So when you yeah. call these, all these people, are they yeah. surprised to hear from you? And do they suddenly share with you, open up their life because they want, they know that somebody's there with them? What are some of the stories Huge. that you're from them? Well, one of my, some of my favorite stories are when we discover someone is 
uh, is challenged in a way that they either didn't know how they could uh, open up about. They like they didn't know where to go or who to tell, or maybe that in some ways they were embarrassed. You know, people who have, have lost income or jobs mm-hmm. or lost touch with key relationships, and maybe they live alone. Uh, people who might be in a difficult situation already, and then you know even you know, to be frank, even an abusive situation, we've yeah, encountered yeah. some of them. And the lockdown has only perpetuated the challenge in a really destructive way. So it's given us, without going into too much detail, it's given us an ability to serve, care for, and in some ways even provide some relief or even rescue to a few cases um, that we might not have been aware of in in physical gatherings because people show up to church and they put on a brave face. Yeah. Everything's fine. Now I've got you on the phone and maybe that person's in a different room or or what have you, and you're going to open up about it. The other thing that I've been so floored to see, Tommy, is the generosity of the people that we get to serve because I'll call someone who's frustrated and restless like the rest of us. I'll ask how they're doing. You know, I'm doing fine. I'm actually able to work from home. And then I'll tell you about 50% of the time, I have people then asking me, Joseph, how can I serve someone in this season? And man, I just, I love that. I love that about people who frankly have so many needs, but their instinct is to say, how can I serve the needs of others? Man, it inspires me. So yeah, that's, that's what we're, it's a couple of examples of what we're seeing when I, when we call people. Wonderful. You know, as you and I are talking, we live parallel lives. We're both bald. We're both daughters. Um, I have a daughter (laughs) at five years old and one year old. How old are your daughters? 14 and 11. Oh my gosh, you look younger than me. Your daughter's at 14 and 11. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I have a filter on the screen and on the camera. (laughs) You took a different journey. Graduate from Biola, but then go straight to becoming a pastor. Talk a little about your journey before you became the pastor of Radius Church because you have a unique journey of how you got to where you are. Oh, you mean it's not normal for someone to to be in a band and then go plant a church? (laughs) Yeah. So I, in college, I went to college to become a corporate attorney. My dad's in finance and I thought that that my future was going to be in the business sector, in the finance sector. But while I was in college, picked up a guitar, loved it. And by the end of college, we, me and a group of guys had a record contract. Uh, I'm telling you a much, a truncated version of all of this, of course. So uh, I went ahead and got the business degree, but we went on the road and we toured extensively for a decade. Um, during that time, while I was involved in a local church in Pasadena, when I was home, which wasn't all, which wasn't often, I met and married my wife, Katie, and she married a musician and she embraced the lifestyle and, and we loved a lot of the freedom and creativity with it and the adventure. But when we decided we were going to start having kids, we did have to come to the we had to face whether or not we were going to do this long term. So that's when collectively the whole band actually d- decided that we were going to, to move from a touring act into whatever we could do locally. So then I parlayed some of my relationships and uh, an experience in music to start writing music for television. Mm. Kept me at home. Uh, it was lucrative. It was predictable. Uh, I could keep sort of regular hours and work, you know, the internet was becoming robust enough to where you could really deliver most of the stuff you were doing online. 
And we enjoyed it, got really involved in a local church in Hollywood, because that's where a lot of our friends were. And what drew us to this particular church was that it was a place that our our musician friends, our artist friends who had written off the church felt comfortable going. It was a church that met in a nightclub and it was doing everything it could to strip away all of the pretense and the language that might create obstacles for people who were not church people. I'd never seen anything like that before. So we're thrilled to be involved in that. So excited that a small group of people within that church uh, decided to plant uh, another church. And it, that's a whole other story too. Yeah. A church that's still thriving and serving people in Hollywood, a church called Ecclesia. Yeah. And I got to serve as a uh, someone starting and, you know, a founding member of that church, so to speak, served in a lot of different ways, primarily in music, but I was still writing songs for TV. That was the career path yeah. for me. But while I was there, just an interesting change or interesting uh, circumstances led to me teaching on a Sunday morning, which I had never done in my life, but I'd always loved scripture. Yeah. In fact, most of my pastoral library that I use to this day, I purchased while I was touring as a musician. Um, maybe I'm a slow learner. God was telling me all along, but that's what it was. So, well, I found I liked it. It connected with people. Then there was a transition that the founding pastor decided to step down. And then uh, he had actually at one point prompted me and said, hey, maybe you should consider being the lead pastor, which I laughed at. And then I went home and I told my wife and she laughed. Um, and then we didn't talk about it for months. And then I'll never forget it was April of that same. This is several years ago now, but uh, I just couldn't shake it. I honestly was not even praying about it. But it was like I, I could not shake this idea. And during what was a very my most lucrative year so far in music, yeah. uh, I had this compulsion, a conviction that uh, I was being called into full time ministry. Well, I remember the night I was going to sit down and tell my wife, "Hey, I think we should consider this pastor thing." Again, months of not talking about it, I sit down, and before I say anything, my wife out of the blue says, hey, Joseph, I think we should consider this pastor thing. Yeah. So we just thought, hey, this might be one of those God moments, and I called the, the um, chairman of the board, the lead elder of the church, and I told him because they were in the middle of a pastor search process, and he laughed, <laughs> which sounded familiar because that's what I did the first time I thought about it. Um, but we, they went through the whole process. Uh, that they would with any pastoral candidate. I had to preach a few more times because I didn't have much experience in that. And then uh, to truncate that part of the story, a few months later, I was unanimously confirmed as the lead pastor of, of Ecclesia in Hollywood. I stood up the day I was, I was named the lead pastor as the 11th sermon I'd ever given in my life. And that church was gracious to grow with me as I was yeah. growing as a... Um, as a preacher, as a leader. But within that was always this call to reach people that had written off the church. Yeah. And for, for lots of reasons, it was uh, clear that, um, that I needed to start a new work to do that in a different community. And so we transitioned out of Ecclesia. And then it was just over five years ago. Now we started a church in a place where churches go to die, North Hollywood, uh, four churches shut down in the first 24 months of us oh, existing there. We started with nine people. 
Um, you know, we were careful to, to do our best to try and communicate. This is a new work. So, you know, we weren't, we didn't, we weren't really interested in a bunch of people moving from other churches yeah, just because yeah. we were the hot new thing <laughs> to say we were the hot new thing is yeah. hysterical because we were anything, but we were like the clunky small new thing, but it's been incredible to see over the last five years, how we've been had the privilege of serving more and more people. And I could give you numbers and statistics, but the thing I'm proudest of, we do a lot of surveys. I'm a big data guy is that on average, any given Sunday, and this is before lockdown, so it's harder to measure this now, but before this lockdown, on any given Sunday, about 35 to 42% of our average attendees would not consider themselves Christians, most of whom had never been to a church before, never cracked a Bible before. Um, and I think it's because they, they find a place where they hear big ideas in ways they can understand and make up their own minds. And they experience that shocking hospitality. So that's as, as much of a nutshell as I'm able yeah. to to yeah. to tell that story. Wild journey for sure. Right before uh, we got on uh, and started recording, you talked about touring on the road with the Christian band mm -hmm. and also in the clubs. From that yeah. point on, you writing music for television shows. You had to live life on the road. You had to report to different bosses. You had to deliver everything. How did all of that experience prepare you for being a pastor as now you're working with volunteers, yeah. leaders? Because, and the reason I ask you is sometimes I encounter pastors who go from Bible college to the church. They've never yeah. worked before. You don't understand the pressure of meeting deadlines, of dealing with profit, of balancing all that. And sometimes you just can't serve. Sometimes you're just not there on the weekends when you're home from travel. How did mm -hmm. all that prepare you as life as a pastor? Oh, what a great question. Yeah. So I think of two things. One is uh, with a business degree and the band and writing for television uh, reinforces the I'm an entrepreneur, I think, by personality. Yeah. And so the ability to start and develop systems, recruit people, yep, establish yep. a vision, those are key skill sets that a church leader needs uh, to be able to identify people's unique giftings and stories and where they might fit within a collection of people or obviously in a biblical metaphor, the body. Are you a hand? Are you an elbow? Are you a knee? So those are skills that you learn as you be, as you build other businesses or you know other initiatives so that helped a lot you know I, coming from that background as opposed to maybe just strictly a seminarian or a seminary background um those are things i'm, I'm grateful i have in my quiver the other thing that helps that actually comes up quite a bit is being an artist myself yep. but yet not any longer desiring a career as an artist i not only do I understand the artistic pursuit, but I actually can develop a credibility and intimacy with artists without, because I don't need anything from them. I'm not a pastor who also has a headshot, yeah. you know? Wow. So we create family that might have a network within it. I'm, I'm fine if people within our community, let's go make a movie together and let's go do a thing. That's, I love seeing that. But uh, I, I'm someone who is able to build trust with no strings attached. I, I understand. I I get the rejection. I get how easy it is to attach your identity to uh, a booking or to the art that you're creating. Yeah. 
So I understand, you know, what I've said before for years now is that my life's mission is to give every orphan a family and every dreamer a mission. And Los Angeles is full of orphans and dreamers. People have orphaned themselves from their home, their roots. They moved here from, you know, they moved here from St. Louis and uh, they're going to try and do this on their own. And they're dreamers, which I love. I love the courage and the risk and the creativity of dreamers. But I think it also is a symptom of a deep need that we all have to have purpose in life. Um, we, we want to know that our lives matter for something. That Do we have a mission? Are we really meant to be doing something? So to give those dreamers a mission is a, is a powerful connection to make. So yeah. Again, long answer. You're asking preacher a preacher a you're asking a preacher a bunch of questions. It's gonna be long answer. Sorry. No, no, no. And one of the things I love is all of us are on a journey. You and I are just meeting each other, but you have a story, a unique story with different chapters in your life. Your time writing music for TV shows, touring, or even a business major. There are different chapters. Actually, mm-hmm. the question I wanted to ask is, how did writing music for TV shows, reflection, writing? even writing songs, playing a band, mm. all of that help create a discipline or lay the foundation as you prepare sermons today. How, oh, wow. How, how do you give, how did that give you a different spin in terms of how you're preparing sermons? Well, I'm a lyricist by nature. And so I think that that must have some relationship with how I communicate. I love words. Yeah. And I, I certainly know the difference between the right word and the wrong word when yeah. you're trying to not only communicate something, but evoke an emotion. And so th- I think that's a benefit or, or part of how I approach writing a message. Um, another thing I think about with writing for TV is that often I was given an assignment. You have to write a song about blank because we're telling yeah. the story. It may not have been my story, but I have to do what I can to empathize, to get into the the shoes yeah. of the yeah. person I'm writing for. Yeah. Man, what a great skill to have if you're writing a message to say, well, how, why would this matter to the high school girl? And why yeah. would this matter to the divorcee? And why? So I do think that that honed a skill I have to, to be able to empathize, show great compassion, maybe even speak on behalf of someone whose story is not my own, but whose story needs to be understood so that i'm sure that helps and when you say joseph in some sense i love what you just said it also allows you to get into the shoes of let's say nicodemus right in john chapter yeah. three, when jesus says to him for god so loved the world and why in the world was it said to nicodemus who was part of sanhedrin and jewish teacher of the law you're putting yourself in those shoes and understand or the samaritan yeah. woman john chapter four absolutely that's that's precisely it. And I think, you know, Jesus, of course, gives us an incredible example of someone who was able to create comfort with a whole host of people. You know, it wasn't even even the religious elite, which Nicodemus would represent for us, uh, but also for the centurion. So the irreligious, yeah. uh, what would be considered the threat to the local community, to the tax collector. I love uh, the, the party that Matthew, the tax gatherer, throws right after he starts to follow Jesus. And it's just a collection of, of Matthew's tribe, which were the left out and the kept out people. Uh, and, and yet they decided that Jesus, it seemed to make sense that Jesus would be at their table too. Um, so I do think that embodying that incarnational approach to how we minister and how we preach is vital. I think that's what Jesus yeah. calls us to. 
Yep, yep, yep. Hey, last question, and we're running out of time. I want to ask you a couple of small little questions. Hit me. Your church is, for some who are listening to it, L.A., church, Hollywood, film, YouTube, it's so unique. Hmm. How, what is it, how What does it look like for you, the pastor, in a church with all of these different people? It's different from pastoring church of people in Wall Street. What, how does sure. that look like the pastor church with creators and people who are working in Hollywood? Can you talk about the experience of how, what, what you have to do to pastor and care for them? Yeah, it'd be difficult to compare it to another context, but I, yeah. I would say to try to be concise, um, the, it's so important for us to be vulnerable and transparent. It's very, very important for that to happen. So artistic excellence is a value certainly within our church. Because our people not only expect it, but they create it. So if you're going to volunteer and you're a musician, I, at our church, I, I joke all the time, you can spit in any direction and find a great drummer. So we have no excuse to have poor artistic expression. However, within that, our people are also very accustomed to the fabrication of a story. They know virtual effects. They know stunt work. They know, they know acting. So if what we're doing at all smells... Mm. Uh, like it's manipulative or it's uh, fake at all. They have such a finely tuned radar for that. So I would say oddly, and this might be the, not what people may expect in Hollywood, but the transparency, vulnerability, authenticity of what we bring and how I preach and how I share my story is really one of the most powerful values we have. We have to be authentic because our people are used to creating fairy tales. Very, very good. Excellent yeah. point. Excellent insights. Hey, three uh, fast questions. And we're going to have to do this again, Joseph, because I love talking with you. So thank you. Oh, absolutely. Three questions I want to ask you. Once COVID-19 is over, what is a place in North Hollywood restaurant or something to visit that you recommend people should go see? Well, the federal bar is spectacular. The best brunches, and I'm not supposed to say that because it's only on Sundays and you should be in church, but man, the Sunday brunch at federal bar, I cannot wait. And frankly, I'm a big concert and theater guy. There's a great theater, El Portal, and I can't wait till they're up and running. I know it's going to be quite some time before they're able to do that, but I can't wait to be sitting in the El Portal and watching a show or a concert again. Got yeah. it. Number two, what is it that you miss on life on the road touring? What is it that you miss? Oh, just a new city every day. I love adventure. I love meeting new people and seeing new spaces. It's a great question. Was there a TV show or episode that you wrote that you're really proud of? <laughs> Most of my stuff was soap operas, so no. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, I love I we've got soap opera actors in our church. And I have tremendous respect for them to be able to prop up a story and churn that stuff out every single day is yeah. a magic trick to me. But um, but a lot of the music behind it, of course, is fairly generic in its approach. It has to be. So yeah. it's, it's uh, yeah, I don't know that anybody's going to be singing those tunes 100 years after I'm dead. It's not Mozart. Let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> the random question, the soap opera industry, it's a, it's a struggling industry, isn't it? Yeah. I, I mean, anymore, I don't know what where it's at, but certainly when I was writing, there were several more in production. I know that those less and less are in demand, but the, yeah. um, but the great thing about them is, is they're 
when they're in production, they're producing all the time. So it's providing a yeah, lot yeah. of jobs for people. And yeah, so I was grateful to, you know, catch that for the season I was in it. Wonderful. <laughs> hey, we have Pastor Joseph Barkley, lead pastor of Radius Church. You can find more information on him on josephbarkley.com and at Instagram at jkbarkley. And for your church, what's the website for your church? Radius.la. Radius.la. And for mm -hmm. Together LA, you could go to togetherla.net for more information. Hey, Pastor, thank you so much for taking time out to talk. Oh, thank you, Tommy. It was a blast. Thanks. We'll talk more soon. Thank you. Yep. See ya. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Together LA Listening Tour. To stay connected, make sure you subscribe to the Together LA channel, rate and review this episode, and make sure to share on your social media platforms. We would love for you to follow along with Together LA on Instagram, Facebook, and our website at www.togetherla.net. See you next time.